All right, folks, welcome into Call and Shots. I'm Seth Partnow. Thanks for the folks who uh, listened in on the pre-show as we discussed uh, Schmidt's uh, 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 tutelage of the Tulane Ultimate Frisbee team on their quest to make it to nationals this year. Um, that'll probably be a separate show where we talk Ultimate Trash again um, as uh, my uh, Carlton Ultimate team uh, is uh, playing in regionals themselves this coming weekend in Madison, Wisconsin. Anyway, enough Ultimate Frisbee. We're not here to talk that. We're, ta- we're here to talk about uh, the upset-minded New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, last time I had you on, um, I kind of humored you into talking about how good the Pelicans were, and I'm here to say I was wrong. So from Bourbon Street Shots, uh, um, Shemit Dua, uh, you take your revenge on me. Well, Seth, you know, I will I will be fair to you because I'm not sure anyone could really have predicted the Pelicans being in the position that they are currently in um, from from where we talked about. I know the acquisition of CJ McCollum was pretty big and you know, I expected them to take a step forward and, and be competitive. But it's kind of been this perfect storm where the, the Lakers have imploded, leaving way for the Pelicans to kind of earn this this spot. And then. Uh, between everything that's happened with the Clippers and now um, that the Pelicans are in the playoffs, all of a sudden, hey, it's 2-2 and they're going into Phoenix and they've got a, a wave of momentum behind them, uh, which is, again, just I don't think anyone really expected this coming into the series, coming into the season or even at the trade deadline. So we'll let you off the hook there a little bit. Um, but they've I, I will say this, they've they've been a pleasure to watch and, and I'm excited to talk to you about uh, what you're seeing as well from them. Well, part of it is I think that 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 after the trade, CJ McCollum is definitely a player who has increased my estimation of him. Um, I it turns out that there was more there there um, than than we saw in Portland, um, and maybe it's just being in a different system. Maybe it's it's not having to play the Dame light role. But I mean, I don't I don't know how would you even describe the the role he has uh with, with the pelicans in 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 contrast to to kind of the second banana role with, with with portland even though he is kind of sharing uh sharing the ball sharing usage sharing kind of the the top billing a little bit offensively with brandon ingram still um but maybe they're different enough players that he's that he's being able to thrive yeah definitely i think with in portland you know damian lillard for years has been this extremely high usage, high pick and roll volume type player. And in New Orleans, uh, CJ's finally had this opportunity to get on the ball uh, more. I I wouldn't say he's been like a totally on the ball player because I think uh, part of what makes him good and effective is his ability to to cut and and draw attention away from the ball because he's such a good shooter. But him coming in and Willie Green being like, all right, we need a guy who can kind of be this caretaker of the offense and set set the table a little bit, particularly with Brandon Ingram being a little bit of uh, in and out of the lineup because of injuries uh, to, to sort of close the back half of the season. He, he got some of those reps that he wasn't necessarily getting in Portland or wouldn't get unless Damian Lillard was injured or, or missed some, some time. And so I think, CJ came in with this mindset of, hey, I have the, these uh, opportunities to have the ball, to play in moments where like, hey, the team usually um, is in the bonus where in, let's say in like Portland, if the team was in the bonus, uh, he would be resting and the Lillard would be in. And so just like these small adjustments um, and and windows that he didn't have in Portland, he got granted in New Orleans. And 
credit to him, he scaled his offensive uh, production and didn't really see a dip in efficiency while that was going on. And the biggest area for me that I've seen from him is his willingness to sort of attack the rim. His drives per game have taken a meaningful increase. And he came into New Orleans and his first four or five games, he was averaging almost 20 a game um, and while he was finding his footing with the team. And I thought, hey, if he can be a guy that can provide any kind of rim pressure or just more than, than what he did in Portland, it's going to be a very different team to defend. Um, and it gives the Pelicans a different dynamic than they've had with just about any guard uh, over the last couple of years. How much of it is, and, and maybe my impression is wrong of this, but Portland was a, you mentioned there being sort of a high, a lot of high spread pick and rolls, um, a lot of station, station, stationary offense. And I don't think, uh, I, I don't think it's it's too much of a criticism to say that that CJ's greatest strength is not like cracking a, a stationary defender off the dribble and getting to the bucket. But if you give him a crease, he gets the ball on the move. He gets to attack a closeout. Uh, he comes gets to come off a curl, something like that. Then he's 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 crafty enough and big enough uh, that that he can do those kind of things. And it seems like there are more opportunities to do that in New Orleans than there were in Portland. Am, am I just Am, am I imagining that, or is that? Um, I guess that in, in my mind's eye, and player comps are lazy, but it's sort of the difference between early career Devin Booker and current Devin Booker in terms of of play style. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about that to an extent. Um, you know, I think he's just kind of been uh, an underrated one-on-one player, so to speak. But in in Portland that role has always been confined to, hey, just go get buckets. You know, just make something happen, especially if you're coming in at the uh, end of the first or the beginning of the second and you're going up against opponent benches. Your your job is to just, like you said, be game light. And now those responsibilities have come with you're also setting up the table, but you're also working with um, much different players when it comes to uh, warping the the floor or the kind of defensive attention they get in terms of Jonas Valanciunas and Brandon Ingram than you've had in the past necessarily with, with Damian Lillard. And so those guys drawing the attention that they do in the way that they do have put CJ in those positions where, yeah, he's catching the ball against a tilted defense more than he was earlier, right? And he's able to, um, you know, maybe receive the ball while someone's rotating to him rather than take someone off the dribble or, He's getting a screen from Jonas and and the defenders have to be like mindful of like what Jonas is actually going to do that possession. And so maybe he's not getting trapped in the way that he might have if like Hassan Whiteside was setting the screen. And so, yeah, I think the the skill set of the players in New Orleans and kind of the position that Willie Green and the staff have put him in have allowed him to scale up his offensive production for sure. I think maybe an underrated sort of aspect of that trade. Well, too underrated is first of all, uh, Larry Nance kind of seemed like a throw in um, just because of his health issues. And he's been pretty important uh, in, in kind of this run. Um, but it was almost, I'm, I'm a big Josh Hart fan. I think we've, we've talked about that before, but it does seem like him not being on the team has maybe opened up more opportunities for, um, a guy who's kind of been had kind of having a moment right now in Jose Alvarado. Well, not just Jose Alvarado, but also Trey Murphy. And uh, while Trey Murphy is kind of a, going through the curve of, hey, does the coaching staff trust me or not? 
um, the sort of production of the team when he's on the floor has been undeniable. And then as with Jose, Jose has been a plus minus minus merchant the whole year, right? He comes in, um, the Pels extend the lead and he comes out and he's been this agent of chaos that teams have kind of had to account for. And now he's at the biggest stage and Chris Paul is checking over his shoulder to see where this guy's at. And eventually, you know, he got, got twice last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what, so I'm curious to see where you're at on this. I feel like Larry, in terms of what he allows you to do as a team, um, just in terms of being the small ball center that the the Pelicans have been using him at, is a more valuable player than Josh Hart in a vacuum. Do you where where are you at on that? I don't know. I'm not I'm not totally sure I agree with that. Um I think that um on balance and maybe they're getting away with it because of, of some strengths at other positions, but uh, I've always had real defensive and rebounding concerns with Larry Nance as a five. Um, so that, uh, and, and maybe, maybe against Phoenix, a team that, you know, kind of has one offensive, uh, only offensive rebounds with their bigs, with their one big, and doesn't send multiple guys to the boards that often, maybe you get away with that a little bit. And a team that doesn't, doesn't give a lot of rim pressure as well, maybe you get away, away with it. So this is probably a good matchup. Uh, for for that, I mean, you know, even though DeAndre Ayton's a lot bigger than him, DeAndre Ayton's big criticism of him for me for my my kind of a lot last couple of years of his career is when he gets a smaller guy on him, he he shoots it. Okay, well, I can just shoot a turnaround instead of very rarely does he try to put the smaller guy in the basket. Um, and so Nance being sort of slight and undersized doesn't cost as much in this matchup as it might in some others and that allows his sort of mobility and passing and and cutting and and you know ability to offensive rebound himself to 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 outweigh what those drawbacks might be that's that's what i'm seeing at least i don't know if you i mean you you watch this team more and much closer than i than i do so um you you tell me yeah so you know i'll say i'll say a couple things um i think I've been one of the few, I guess, people who've been following slash talking about the Pelicans, uh, who's been lower on, on Josh Hart and his impact to the team and, and kind of like what, what it's meant. Um, you know, what his, his strengths, in my opinion, were being able to push in transition and being able to rebound the basketball. And I think at different times during the year, they played a pretty critical role, but I always thought he was a little bit overrated as a, as a defender and, his rebounds weren't necessarily the most valuable thing in a team sense, um, even though he was individually getting those boards. Um, and the Pelicans really have not taken a step back on the defensive rebounding side or the offensive rebounding side without uh, without Josh. And just maybe Larry isn't explicitly the better player, but I think he's been more valuable to the Pelicans and what they're trying to do. Um, simply because, like you said, uh, being able to replace some of those Josh minutes at the wing with those younger guys who provide you different things like Jose and um, and Trey, and then now being able to go small in a matchup that um, allowed you to get away with it. I guess we'll see if, if they make it out of this round or if they make it, you know, next season, um, what those, what the smaller Larry Nance center lineups look like on a larger scale. But I think, I just don't think Josh allowed the team to do that in any sense. I think, you know, he's he's a pretty good defender on ball in isolation type situation. So you could still do a pretty switch heavy scheme. Uh, he battles in, in the post. So he could he would very well fit into those units. But in terms of like, hey, can you just put this guy on the point of attack and 
expect him to navigate screens. I, I always thought that aspect of his defense was not as um, – didn't live up to the kind of like reputation he has as like a hard-nosed, tough player. That, that, that's fair. And I think that, that some of our disagreement might be like me, like when I say I like Josh Hart, it's like I don't think he's – is he a starter on a contending team? Probably not, but that he is the, the – he is a, a playoff useful player type, but they're getting a lot of that sort of that athleticism and, and grit and strength. They're getting that from Alvarado. They're getting that from from uh, from Herb Jones. So it's, right. it's like that bit is and and so they needed some some similar of that kind of energy play uh, higher up the the size order, I guess the positional order, however you say that. And you know Nance is far more ready to do that than. Jackson Hayes, I think, at this stage. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't think you're wrong there, and I think I think Josh, credit to him, he also took a step forward this year in terms of being an ancillary playmaker and just uh, the you know Willie Green putting the ball in his hands for um, and allowing him to make decisions um, at, to the extent that he did, kind of showcased this versatility of like, okay, yeah, maybe he's more than your your typical nominal like three and D type of guy, even though the, the three parts questionable at times, um, he can, he can really like be at least a connective figure or attack broken defenses and, and find, find gaps and, and get the ball to the right folks. So I, I wanted to actually, since we brought him up, um, this is, this is an interesting sort of discussion point here. Um, because the, the other day, I think it was, uh, Bob Vulgaris was, was kind of, you know, asking what does, what does, uh, you know, random at this point, DeAndre Jordan, I guess. What does random vet center du jour do better than Paul Reed to the point where that's that's who's playing for the backup center minutes for the 76ers? And my response was, uh, was, was well, he's, he's better at having veteranosity, which is sort of, it's something, I mean, it's, it's something that I think Pelicans fans are probably familiar with from earlier in this year with the, uh, the Garrett Temple experience where, you know, a trusted, <laughs> solid veteran. But the flip side of that is, um, you know, Jackson Hayes is getting minutes in this series, and I don't know. I, I kind of think that if if I wonder at what stage that that would what would have to happen for that to no longer be the case, aside from another ejection. Um, because I yeah. I think that he like he is he is this is the, as good a matchup as this is for Nance. I think it's a, a bad matchup for for him. And also, he's just not ready. Yeah, so I think I think there's a couple things going on there. One, uh, with regards to what what would what would need to happen for the front office, or I guess the coaching staff, to make a change moving forward. I think it the starters would have to lose those minutes that the that he gets at the beginning of the first and third quarters by a wide margin, and it'd have to look pretty ugly. And I think it was the case early on in the series, and now they're basically kind of playing those minutes at an even and they're winning the non-CP3 minutes. And, and so I guess in their eyes, this is, Hey, this is house money. Let us continue to sort of trot out this lineup that um, for better or for worse, got us into the play in. And, and there's been at least, I guess, some sort of continuity with it. And we're also getting Jackson experience who knows maybe this kind of investment in him, helps him you know, helps unlock him going forward and we figured things out and i did like you know i did like how they were using him to to pressure the suns in transition i did like how 
they were experimenting with like, okay, yeah, maybe we just do want to switch one through four when Jonas is on the floor and we're fine with Jackson out there in space and have him navigate some screens. So I think, I think kind of that data collection portion has been interesting and I'm interested to see what, what kind of findings they have on their side and how they're going to change it going forward. But I, you know, I've been pounding the Trey Murphy drum this whole time because I'm like, okay, you don't really sacrifice much size putting Trey Murphy out there. Um, it's not like Jackson's the most experienced veteran player that uh, you're losing a lot when you put Trey Murphy out there and you're putting a legitimate shooter. So I'm, I, you know, I, they haven't hit that inflection point yet to where they can be like, okay, we, we need to make a change. But um, yeah, I, I do think if, if the, the team continued to get blown out in those minutes as they did during the first game, or I guess the first one, one and a half games, because it was really the second half of the second game um where Jackson kind of like turned it on um even then the offense has been sketchy at best with him with him out there they the defense has been rock solid so I don't know it's it's uh, I think at this point as long as you keep like playing those minutes to an even you're gonna see him sure no and I think that like you said the, the term you used earlier is house money and and um I don't know you never want to say that a team is 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 not trying to win a series or something, but I do think that if like if the, this was a different p- point in the Pelicans' life cycle, they might be a little more ruthless. That like a little bit more to okay, this is what we need to do today. Ruthless about it, then then they might be you know having had mm-hmm. this nice run to unexpectedly get into the play-in to somewhat unexpectedly get into the playoffs and now be two-two. It's like all right, well we got here. Um, you know, it. The, I, I don't know. I'd say the, these are the these are some tough decisions. And and you know, while I think you you I mean you agreed with me on on I think you 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 called the veteranosity thing an epidemic uh, in the NBA, <laughs> which I, which I do think it is. But these are these are like these are hard choices when it comes when when you examine many of them on an individual level. Like there's like the Philadelphia backup center situation is is possibly the most egregious example, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, 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 I think I, I do wonder like how much of that played into like Charlotte getting rid of J- James Borrego because I know, uh, with Lamelo, so to speak, they, they were bringing him off the bench his rookie year and then it took him a while to trust him. And then this year there was, you know, James Booknight was their 11th pick and he hardly saw any playing time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I, it's just, I, I think he's still <laughs> in Davian Mitchell's pocket from that summer league game. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, regardless, um, so but would would you like to uh, revise and extend about uh, Herb Jones? Oh my gosh! Oh <laughs> my mean, gosh! So first of I, all, so, I mean, first of, so you're you're probably before you're probably uh, too young to to come with on this comparison. But I thought Reggie Miller made a really interesting and I think pretty perfect player comp for him and you know player comps are lazy blah 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 but Derek McKee was was a very similar player um in kind of the for some very good Pacers and Sonics teams throughout the 90s and uh that's a very like you know kind of offensively somewhere between limited and disinterested or reticent but multi-positional and scary defensively. Yeah, I, I can't say I was able to watch much of Derek McKee. 
but Her- Herb Jones, he just the fact that he earned the trust of Willie Green. You know, we were talking about vet- veteranosity. Um, to, so for him to be the, a rookie who wasn't even starting games in summer league, and um, you know the Pelicans kind of go through this rocky stretch uh, to start the season. Zion's not there. Ingram gets hurt early. They start one and twelve, and then to just earn the trust from Willie Green um, to start and remain there, and not only that, but to be the guy on the other team's guy um, every single night, and it's it just shows that he came in with a level of poise that's. Uh, uncommon for for a rookie and I think this class has been kind of an outlier class where you've had um, more than a handful of rookies on the defensive end where you're like oh my gosh like these guys are doing stuff with Evan Mobley um, Scotty Barnes and, and and Herb Jones of course and so and then not only that but he went from being uh, a career 60 something percent free throw shooter in college for four years to being uh, a low mid-80s guy right out the gate and and being passable enough on catch and shoot and corner threes to where he's not going to have, you know, we talked about record scratch moments, you know, is there going to be, um, is there going to be moments where the ball is swinging around as it gets to him? And all of a sudden, what was he going to do? Is there going to be a turnover? Is it going to be a dribble? Is he going to like dribble and uh, run into traffic and make a poor decision? And, and just that stuff did not happen um, outside of maybe like, the, the first 10 games or so his willingness to, to sort of let the ball fly and, and not be afraid to miss, not be afraid of the moment um, has been key because I think if you, if you stop shooting the ball, you let the other team off the hook and you basically can see the fact that, yeah, I'm not an offensive threat and you don't have to account for me. It's also, it's also illustrative that, you know, we sort of, in our mind's eye, like that the, the, you would think, oh, well, you know, P.J. Tucker can just sit in the corner and shoot threes. That's a very specific type of offense. And we were just talking earlier about, you know, with, with McCollum, like the, the Pelicans play with a little, with, a, with more movement than, than a lot of teams. So it's not just like he's sitting in the corner and they can decide to guard him or not. He's, he's cutting, he's moving. They're, they're, they're you know, other than, than Valanchunas, like there's a lot of, where is the sky now um, yeah. about, about where the Pelicans are deployed offensively, which I think helps with, I don't know, I want to say hide, but helps um, make scheming, spacing off a guy a little more difficult. Yeah, especially in, in the regular season where maybe not everyone's read the, the game plan or maybe not everyone's like in tune with the scouting report, or it's just a regular Tuesday night. And the last thing you're concerned about is, you know, uh, finding, finding your guy after like a weak side exchange has happened or, you know, like a flurry of screens has happened. And so you're going to get teams with that. And, and he has been decisive and purposeful about his offensive moves. And he's also, he's also pushed the issue a bit. You know, they've given the freedom for him to push off of misses. If he gets the rebound to attack and transition and kind of, emulate that Josh Hart-esque rim pressure uh, um, and try to catch defenses napping. And he, I, I think he got better as the season went on, um, finishing at the rim. I still think that's a, an area of improvement for him as he gets stronger, as he gets more experience. But just the fact that you got to account for him. And, you know, like, um, I'm sure you remember that Corey Brewer game where he chopped 50 points in almost all transition opportunities. And uh, lo and behold, Corey Brewer is on this staff. So I'm sure he's picking up 
some of those things from from Corey and in, in how to keep defenses um, accountable and, and honest if if you're not going to be a high volume guy. All, all due respect to Corey Brewer, Herb Jones is already a much better player than Corey Brewer was at any point. <laughs> <his NBA career. laughs> I agree. Um, so, all right, we've we've are the Pelicans going to win the series? Yes, absolutely. Thousand six. Thousand six. Okay. Okay. Now that we have that out of the way, what do you really think? I I, I believe if Booker is not coming back, this is the Pelican series to take. And you know, I don't think the Phoenix was. Uh, I mean, the sample is small, right? They were they were eight and six in the regular season um, when Booker was out, and many of those wins came against teams like the Rockets or Pistons. So. I, I don't think they're terribly scary. I, you know, we, I was talking about this on Twitter. Um, their, their offensive shot profile is, it, it, it lets the Pelicans off the hook because they don't space them out um, on the three-point line. They, they're not a high-volume three-point shooting team. They're not really aggressive when it comes to attacking the rim. Um, you know, they, they like to do most of scoring in the, in the short or long mid-range area. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting to the line and they're not offensive rebounding. And those are, those are all things where you can apply pressure on the Pelicans. And without Booker, it becomes incredibly difficult to do so. And, and it just makes the game plan for Willie Green and staff um, a lot easier. And it also allows them to get away with playing guys like Devontae Graham or, or, or even, even Jose as long as, as, as they've been playing them. And so if, if Booker is out, I really do think it's the series um, for the Pelicans to take, especially with the way they've been absolutely dominating the Phoenix on the offensive glass. I mean, to have an offensive rebound rate of, of over 40% is nuts. Yes. Um, I also wonder because uh, Chris Paul is, is, you know, he's, he's not young and he's not no longer a jet. And so I think the Bucks had some success in the finals last year with this. And it seems like uh, um, the Pelicans are going to this a little bit is just making him work. Um, there was a, I think there was a, it's, and it's not just Chris Paul. There was a, there was a play last night where I think Trey Murphy like missed a corner three and then the rebound kind of got batted around and, and Phoenix got the ball and like, okay, camp in campaign came and got the outlet and like, okay, let's set something up. Murphy started to sprint back down the court. It's like, oh, wait, no, I'm supposed to pressure the ball. And, like, picked him up at the opposing free throw. And it wasn't, like, you know, pressing, going for a steal. Just making them work, making him burn clock. And, you know, against campaign, that's mostly just to burn clock. But against Chris Paul, it's also to, to you know, you show, you show him size and you wear him out. And stuff like the end of game three maybe happens less. Yeah, and and you know it's it's funny because I think it was Charles Barkley who made the point where he was like, you know, when I got old in the league, there were nights where I could take over, but then it would take me a game or two to sort of reach that peak again. And and I wonder how much of that is true for Chris Paul because game one he took over in the fourth quarter, game two he struggled, game three he took over in the fourth quarter, game four he struggled even more, and so that with Devin Booker being um, healthy puts puts a lot of that burden um, away from Chris Paul's shoulders. It takes it, it makes it a lot easier on his legs and a lot of Phoenix's offense is designed to kind of open things up for Booker and then let Chris take over when he needs to in the fourth and be selective. And now you're asking him to be that guy for, for all four quarters. And, you know, I was talking about this on a different podcast, but as, as effective as Aiton has been um, converting looks uh, in the paint and just as efficient as he is, 
I I don't think him being the play finish that he is is really lifting the Phoenix offense, and it just kind of seems like like random points at, re- at random periods of the game because I think the Pelicans are like, okay, if if this is how we're gonna lose, uh, we'll be fine losing to Aiden in single coverage. We're just not really gonna help off their their shooters and not gonna let them get hot from three, which. And and I think that's helped the Pelicans, even though they probably have a lot of luck on their side in terms of the shots Phoenix has missed from three. But um, I, I also think it's part of the game plan where they, they get to be more aggressive and stay home on the shooters um, because they're fine letting Aiden cook in one-on-one situations. Even though, I mean, it's it's a weird thing because it's like, oh, it's 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 funny you say that you can say they, it doesn't lift their offense and you're shooting close to 70% for the series. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it's also like, but he, he he's not going to get to the free throw line, and if 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 okay, well, if DeAndre Ayton's going to you know, as long as they're making him hit you know twelve foot turnarounds and not like layups and and dunks and stuff like that, I I do see your point. Um, in that you know it's it's almost he's he, it's almost a he's a singles and doubles hitter, which right. is good, but you know, um. So you're you're legitimately like you're you're at this point are like because it ha- it gets a hamstring so I'm not expecting Booker to play the rest of the series or if he does I'm expecting him to be limited so you're you're right now you think the Pelicans are 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 just straight up winning the series I think I think so you you look you know I think they've won what seven out of the ten quarters since since Booker's injury um and and one of those quarters was been Chris Paul just going absolutely nuclear. So, yeah, I, I think I think the Pelicans just from a, a statistical makeup and just now like a personnel makeup, uh, having more shot creation, having more of an inside presence, um, you know, being able to force guys not named Chris Paul to try to beat you off the dribble or show what they have and make decisions. Um, just it's it's it easier for them to game plan around. Sure. Um, though. Having watched playoff basketball for a long time, um, how many free throws shoot? <laughs> how many free throws are, is Phoenix going to shoot in in Game Five at home? Oh gosh, I'm not casting a record. I'm not casting any aspersions, but for favorite team coming home Game Five after having huge free throw dispar- disparity against them, in which their coach is has he got has Monty gotten fined yet, or is that yet to be announced? I get to be nuts. A couple, couple of coaches got fined. Not yet with Monty. Yeah, well, it's coming. Um, but and you know that, that's sort of his, that's, that, that's his that, that's his job in the situation. But you know, we've anyone who's watched playoff basketball for a long time, this is kind of a situation where the pendulum might swing the other way. And so I'm just wondering about that because like the, the math problem you're talking about for Phoenix, all of a sudden, if the easy points from the line sort of equalizes a little bit. That does change the math a little bit. Well, that I'm I'm a little bit more concerned about the three point shooting. The Phoenix has not shot well the last two games. Um, you know, Jay Jay Crowder's basically hit what like one, two threes all all series long. Ken Johnson hasn't been particularly hot, and so um, you know they talk about role players playing better at home. They they're kind of in this do or die situation, at least for them, right? I mean, I guess if, if they lose Game Five, it's still not the end of the world. But you don't want to go be down three two headed to New Orleans, um, and so I would expect them to shoot a lot better from three, and and that's what I'm concerned about is um, what's their three point shooting going to look like this next game, and can the Pelicans keep pace with it? 
Sure. No, I'm just I'm I'm just looking up doing doing a quick doing a quick stat look up while we're talking. I'm curious as to what the 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 Suns have shot on uncontested threes in the in the two games in uh in in uh New Orleans. And yeah, they've shot 29%. Although the, I mean the Pelicans themselves haven't made open shots either, but but that's who they've been all yeah, year. <laughs> yeah. But the, but it is but Phoenix has been a a you know, they have good shooters and you know, they're they're, you know, they're they're 9 of 30 on uncontested shots. And that that 30 number isn't actually oh, excuse me, 9 of 31. And that 31 number over two games isn't like awful. So that that I mean, I think that that's a that's a good number for New Orleans in terms of how many uncontested looks they're giving up from the outside. Um, so, but at the same time, um, you know, considering that they're shooting about you know about thirty five thirty six percent for the series, if they're shooting twenty nine in in New Orleans, that means they're shooting not that in, <laughs> in Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so I like, I, like in, in you, maybe a home court advantage or whatever, or that's just kind of the way the ball is bounced. Um, sure, because you know some other series like um, like Milwaukee's lost in Game Two to Chicago was you know about them not hitting threes and missing free throws and stuff like that, um, even though it was at home. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's 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 certainly you can probably expect some regression to the mean there. Right, and 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 to me, I'm looking to see if the Pelicans sort of stick with their game plan and don't panic if if either of those, like either the free throw thing starts to happen or, you know, there's a cascade of threes happening from the Suns. Um, you know, and, and they, to credit to them, they did when Devin Booker was going off right before he got hurt. He had that absolutely bonkers uh, second quarter and in the Pelicans took that punch and they didn't really change um, uh, much of what they were going to do rotationally or schematically to to sort of panic react to that. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in the moment and be like, oh no, like we're getting burned by this absolute like one thing. It's like, no, like let let the numbers play out a little bit. Let's continue to to stick to what we got. And um I will say they they're a much more conservative group when it comes to making changes than I am on Twitter. <laughs> That's why I'm not a coach. <laughs> Most coaches are. Um they, they I think do think they did make it they did make a change, a, a notable change. And um uh, and that was like their late game coverage, and maybe it was as much about who was on the floor, but they weren't giving up the same soft switches to Chris Paul. Correct. Now some of that Correct. is 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 like okay, well Alvarado's in the game; he's not switching off Paul or like or Herb Jones. But but they they wouldn't, you know, in uh, in in game three it was basically they'd start with 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 Jones on him, and then like Nance's guy would come up to the screen, and then he'd cook Nance. And yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the criticism uh, from the fan side was that they were too wilf. They were too. They were accepting those switches too willfully yes. with Herb. Like yeah. they they should have just stuck you know with yeah. Herb on there. And then if it's anyone else, maybe you switch it. But yeah, you're right. They did they did change that. And they also started matching Jonas's minutes with Javel in the second units more. Sure. No, I mean I, th- I think that's. Uh... If there's one thing that uh, that Mo Dakeel, one of my podcast partners at, on, on Nerder, uh, and I kind of go crazy about in, in playoffs is is those soft switches. It's just like, why would you let the opposing team choose who your most important defensive player is on every possession? That doesn't make any sense. Like, right. Her, Herb Jones is on the floor to guard a guy, and then he's like, yeah, but we, but they, they had two guys kind of come close to each other, so I guess he can't. He can't. <laughs> 
can't fight through a screen even though he's been doing it all year long. Yeah. Like, I, I sort of, like, I understand the, the like, this is something that, they can, I'm sorry, I'm going to soapbox here for a second. Um, so um, don't mind me. But this is sort of the difference between switching and playing a switching defense. Boston plays a switching defense. Some other teams just kind of switch. And it's at the end of end of game three, the Pelicans were just switching. And I think that you kind of see the, the downside of that. And it's really like a warrior style or a, a Celtic style. Switching defense is much more high energy, much more communicative, much more switch on, switch off than, mm-hmm. than kind of, oh, they two guys came together and we're going to just run. Now we run away and someone else is guarding the ball, um, which is... Uh, uncreative and uh, almost mentally lazy. Mm. But anyway, that's, that's a larger issue than just, than just that. No, I, I agree. I think like, you know, with, with uh, the last couple playoff series um, in, in seasons past, I think we saw it with the, the, the Clippers the most where you have Paul George and Kawhi, two of the best wing defenders, in the league period. And they would just accept soft switches off of those guys. It's like, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you want Morris on the ball? Why would you want Batum on the ball or, or Reggie on the ball when you have Paul George? <laughs> why would you switch him off? I, so I, I, I'll, I'll defend Ty Lue on that actually. Cause especially in the matchup, say against like, um, Dallas, like if you're, if, if you're starting someone on Luca and like, Oh, they run a switch and now we've got Morris on them. Now we've got, Batum on him. Now you're still showing him a lot of a lot of size with whoever it is. So I'm kind of like that makes more sense. Now in other in other matchups, like maybe if you're if you're like letting Donovan Mitchell go at Marcus Morris, although um, maybe that maybe there's there's a sort of a uh, uh, <laughs> a red tape in front of a bowl <laughs> aspect. Of it. Oh, we, 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 like if we do this, he'll shoot a pull up. So let's do this. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, Anyway, I I kind of lost my train of thought here. Um, so I'm 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 I am I guess I shouldn't be, but I am surprised you're as you're you're as confident as you are, which sort of means that you're not going to like where I go with my next bit of questions. Um, go for it, man. Well, no, because they're sort of all right. Assuming like I think like frankly, and this is you know you know this is this is cold takes exposed, but frankly, I think the most likely outcome right now is Suns and Six. Like I, it, 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 I think that of of the possible ways the series can go, I think that's the most the, the one that happens most often. Um, but even let's hear it. Happens, yeah, I'm I'm excited to, to see where where you're coming at from with yeah. this. But no, but 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 I I say that by by way of of saying if that comes to pass, and this is still, I think the second half of the season is has to be seen as a success for New Orleans. Mm. Um. That's good. The question is sort of where do they start to go? How does the way they've played, the way they've had success, does Zion Williamson fit in that? I think so. So here's like this is and this isn't like it's not. Are they better without Zion? Like no. Like that's. (laughs) But can they can they play the same way and get the best out of Zion? Those are two different questions. Yeah. And so I think I think what's fascinating because there's a couple layers to this. One, just from an identity standpoint of we are bigger than you, we crash the boards harder than you, um, we we love to score in the paint. 
Zion is just a doubling, if not tripling or quadrupling down on that, on those strengths, right? Um, being, a, getting another, uh, creator, another initiator, someone who can attack off the dribble. I mean, just, they trotted out Jackson Hayes as the starting four. And you replace all of those minutes <laughs> all right, fair with Zion Williamson. <laughs> You're going to look different. Uh, but what the adjustment period that's going to have to happen is is the, the Brandon Ingram adjustment. He spent this whole year playing on the ball, um, being the playmaker, allowing um, – you know they, they allowed him to hold the ball as long as he needs to to sort of read the defense and quarterback opportunities. And he's always – I, I, struggling is not the right word, but it's always taken him time to adjust to the addition of another high usage offensive player. So it kind of happened when CJ first showed up. Um, it's it's happened before when Zion's come back off of injury, and and so I think it will take some time to adjust on that aspect. But you're kind of already seeing it in this series from stretches where they're putting Brandon Ingram in the corner or. Um, in situations where typically the help defense comes from, and they're turning him back into the sort of catch-and-shoot threat that he was under Gentry and, and Stan Van Gundy. You know, this year, his volume of, of, of threes attempted has is, is, uh, plummeted, and, and specifically catch-and-shoot threes. And a lot of that's because he's been an on-the-ball guy, and they've wanted to get him going downhill and find his spots in the mid-range area. And I think when you introduce a guy like Zion, you're gonna, you have to reintroduce Brandon Ingram catch-and-shoot. And and so I think they're going to have to find the balance of sharing the rock. And, and some of that's going to be just staggering those guys. And man, I, I kind of cackle at the at the idea that teams now have to account for both of these people in at separate separate moments. But, yeah, I think I think that would that's going to be the adjustment, the biggest adjustment moving forward. But in terms of like what the Pelicans like identity is and the strength is, I think Zion is, is the embodiment of that uh, defense question mark. Oh boy, that is a great question. Um, I I think I, I would expect them to struggle, um, but I don't expect them to be terrible. Here's why: in uh, last season, when they had Stephen Adams and Lonzo Ball and, and Eric Bledsoe, they were um, I would I want to say like the 29th uh, defensive ranked team, like at the first half of the season. The second half of the season, they were the seventh ranked team. After they, they stopped bringing Steven Adams to the level of the screen, they were, they were dropping him more. Um, I think Brandon Ingram this year has been a better defender than he has been in years past with the Pelicans. Um, just his rotations have been better. His, his effortness and willingness has been better. Uh, they, they have Herbert Jones, someone who didn't, they didn't, they never had in the past. And then I think the bench has been better. So I don't expect them to be like a, you know, like a powerhouse defensive team. And then in playoff situations, I definitely expect teams to test Zion out, test CJ out, put those two guys in actions as much as they can. Um, but I don't expect them to be a terrible team. I do think they figured some stuff out. Uh, for the last 40 games of, of last season, uh, they were a top seven defensive team and it wasn't abnormal three point shooting luck. It was pretty, pretty far for the course. So I, I think they'll be okay. And I think their offense will just be unstoppable. I mean that's a uh, it, it is a, it is a um, it's it's danger like it it on one hand it's an exciting spot and the other hand it's a dangerous spot. Um, I think where, that, where are your fears? So what? Well, what are you, so when you yeah? Uh, if I, I mean if I was if I had to use two words to describe my fears, it would be the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's it's you know you you have the the Atlanta Hawks like the 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 We Believe Warriors the the um, the Suns the year they they end up when they they just miss the playoffs with like the uh, the Goran Dragic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like you know the the assuming that a step forward is happening now obviously adding a player of Zion's talents back into the mix is is you know is a is, is sort of a categorical difference from from those those groups but young team kind of precocious success step back is not exactly unheard of no for sure and and I think yeah I think obviously Zion's a big factor not I don't think any of those teams are adding a potential top 10 uh, level talent um, in any capacity and if Zion's healthy that's that's what he is and and the other thing where I'll say and I, I'll keep going back to this is and I'll have to look uh, I'll have to like look back at the we believe and and the and the Suns but um, I don't think either of those teams were as strong as the Pelicans are um, just on the glass and in offensive rebounding and it's just, so as long as they're a top two or three offensive rebounding team I, I don't see any reason to believe that's going to change unless they're moving off of Jonas and, and maybe some a couple other players that's going to give them a floor offensively. Uh, to where, you know, the, their shot makers, then Brandon Ingram and CJ and stuff are going to be able to come in and, and you should be a top 10 offense every year, just, just based off of that. And so I think, I think those two things are, are the big differentiators for me. And obviously, um, you know, if, if you have the 27 points a game, 60% from the floor, Zion Williamson, I just don't know what teams do about that. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the redistribution of, of kind of touches and minutes across the rest of the, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem yeah. to be solving. Like you say, Oh, we have sure. Herbert Jones. Well, can you, are there lineups that make sense with Herbert Jones and Brendan Ingram and Zion Williamson? Like, can you, can you play though? Like what is a lineup with those three and McCollum look like that makes sense? That's a hypothetical question. Cause a lot of that depends right. on like, Ingram's willingness to to be a floor spacer and and what like how well Herb can play up defensively and and who the who the fifth guy is like I don't think you can play that that you cannot play that unit with uh, Valanciunas I'm gonna go out on the limb and say that I don't think that man I I disagree <laughs> if you can play that unit and put Jackson I just keep going keep pointing Jackson Hayes if you're gonna play that unit and you put Jackson no, so Hayes, Jackson out Hayes there, makes more sense though because his of his mobility like he can at least run around. Yeah, and like you know, you know, I. But the flip side is like you. So you, the only place to hide someone defensively is is on is on Herb, and and they and we've already kind of talked about the the way they get creative when when teams are doing that, um, involving those players in screens or taking away them from help situations. So I don't know, man. I I just think, I think you. There's probably more concern. Uh, on the defensive end, as we were kind of talking about, but offensively, like the questions to me are just like, I just think that the talent, they'll figure it out, but maybe Larry's the guy that you put out there and you're just kind of playing Zion in space. And when has, we have great talent. We'll figure it out. When has it ever failed? Yeah. Just let's just ignore what's going on with the nets. You know, I, well, just pretend that's I, not I, a, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, so what does it, what's next? What are like, obviously, you know, Willie Green's done a, after, you, you know, he, 
maybe a rougher start to the year, which was to some degree out of his control. He's emerged as one of the, you know, the more promising young coaches in the league. So you feel pretty good about that. Where else on the roster are you expecting to see some, some movement? Is it, is it basically just going to be run it back? Yeah. So I think just off of like <laughs> to the good vibes this year, right? They, they don't really, I think when they is, have like 10 it, guys. When has that gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's just going to be one of those things where like, you know, they're from a salary cap standpoint, um, they're, they're going to be right up at the tax line. They obviously like, I don't think they're going to be a tax paying team next year. Um, and, and there's not any like legitimate concerns that that's going to prevent them from making any moves they need to make, but they're going to be pretty close to that tax line. Um, so from a free agency standpoint, there's not going to be any significant additions from just like a roster spot lockdown standpoint. If you reintroduce in Zion to this team, you already have like nine to 10 roster spots locked up. And that's without getting into they're adding a potential top 10 pick from, from the Lakers this year. Um, Kyra Lewis is coming back from injury and, um, and yeah. And, and, you know, like this random uh, cameo is by Billy Hernan Gomez. So like, I think if you look at their starters, which I'm going to put them in pencil because barring a roster change, this is who they are. It's going to be CJ, um, Brandon, Herb, Zion and Jonas, that's five. And then off the bench, you have Larry, Trey, Jose. Um, and then they're going to play Devontae minutes. And then they're probably, they're going to play Jackson minutes. That's 10. And so we haven't talked about Najee yet. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think they make any significant changes moving forward. I do think that they will explore opportunities to sort of package Devontae Graham and Garrett Temple and maybe some, some draft capital to see what they can get. Because in my, in my eyes, they still need more three-point shooting. They still need um, the KCP type of player who's like 6'6", six, six, can chase guys around screens, can, can switch well enough, and will we'll put up shots and make enough of them. Uh, t- to me, that's kind of like a guy that will unlock a lot of their units um, on, on the perimeter. And then I think they need rim protection going forward. So, like, yeah, if Jackson Hayes takes a leap, great but i'm you know i wouldn't be married to keeping that guy on the roster you know sure um as we wrap up here this is um i you know i guess i, I guess i shouldn't be surprised uh, coming off of last night's win that there's a there's a lot of enthusiasm and um so but as, if folks in the in the audience if you got any questions for for me or Schmidt about the pellies or anything else uh hit us up now but um you know anything else you you want to hit on about the either this series or the playoffs in general um, you, you, had to yeah. pick, you had to pick a champion right now. Who is it? Oh gosh, man. Uh, I, I kind of lean the warriors, um, just because they're, they look absolutely scary with Draymond playing the way that he is. And, and the fact that Steph still hasn't been integrated into the, the starting lineup in, in a full capacity yet. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's semantics at this point, but just just their ability to kind of look like the Warriors of the old, where they're going to be a barrage of threes, and then they're going to be um, extremely effective defensively in a way that teams have a have a difficult time dealing with because of how mobile and small they are. My only pushback on that is um, health. Well, no, is this is a this is a good opponent for them to look good against. True, that is true. That is true. The the other one would be like man I the Celtics look really good. I mean, well I, that's part yeah the Celtics things, look really things good. things have certainly broken the Celtics way a lot. 
True. Um, I mean, I like, you know, prior to the Robert Williams injury, I was outright picking the Celtics to win the East. And then I was like, ah, God. Wow. and now, wow. well, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you see the defense they play. Yeah. It's uh, and like, you, you talk about a guy who has, you know, making, make, made from an already very high level, a guy who's made a leap in, in ways that are very useful for their team, Jason Tatum. Like his ability as a playmaker, his ability to playmake out of pick and roll, has in the second half of this season is is like it's been a revelation, and that you know pair that with their defense, and now okay they 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 don't have like the most offensive talent, but they now have a guy who can who can really you know stir the drink and and get the ball to their shooters like. You know, get open shots for for you know Jalen Brown and for Marcus Smart and you know Derek White and get get some lobs for and Mar- Al Horford as well. Get some lobs for Rob Williams, like out of pick and roll and stuff like that. Which, Horford's been unbelievable for yeah. them, which is you know a hilarious kind of the trajectory that oh you know Philadelphia signed him to that that insane deal and then they had to put in draft capital to send him to, to Phoenix. Then he kind of spent that semester abroad there in Phoenix kind of, or it was a gap okay. year. Oh, I want to no, say, it was <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he spent that uh gap year in OKC doing what, you know, whatever they needed to do and then to get shut down and, and then not to come back and be like as, as effective as he's been on, on defense and sort of being like enough of a um, offensive, like playmaker and stuff to or connector, um, to to glue their their high usage players together has been pretty nice. I still think that Philly team could have worked. I I mean like the you know the the vibes and on, on, around the Sixers <laughs> have been have been what they Toxic. are. Yeah. So that like, but I I I still think that team could have worked, but it didn't. I really am sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. I was like, I'm really curious to see. Um, if you know if if uh Milwaukee and, and Boston end up meeting how that ends up going down because I think you know yeah, Chris, yeah well he's he's if he's healthy you know if he comes I, back from his MCL thing uh I would be um it's a good segue because I'm uh, on Wednesday I, I am uh, I have uh uh, Raj Paul uh, Brar is coming on, who's uh, you know on mm-hmm. Twitter as a, is a you know a doctor of physical therapy and and has generally has pretty good uh, knowledge about like return to play timelines and stuff like that. But we'll get into that more with him. But I would be I would be surprised to see Middleton at least in the first half of that series. Yeah, and the other thing is Boston's defense and personnel is the exact type that have troubled Drew. Um, his career. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a low efficiency, high turnover series for Drew, especially given that he's going to be taxed defensively, probably on Tatum, um, if not Brown. And, and, but the other end of that is like, is there any answer for Giannis? And if there's a, if there's any team that has the personnel and size uh, and scheme, you know, it's, it's, it's Boston, but, we have yet to kind of see like anything that slows Giannis down. Um, Marcus Smart is going to attempt to draw ten charges a game. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah. Best way to defend his shot is to to fall down. Yeah. Um, anything else caught your eye? 
I'm, you know, I've, I've been interested uh, in, I guess like, you know, Atlanta's not the best opponent for, for Miami, but it's, it's nice that they've, they've, you know, Jimmy Butler looked like Jimmy Butler. And so I don't, I don't think they can be discounted. I'm curious to see uh, what they do with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrell and Max Truss going forward. And if teams, they eventually run into like teams that can kind of um, take advantage of some of those players, but um, yeah, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy and Bam are just very, very good. Yeah, no, it's, it's similar. I mean, like, like again, Kyle Lowry hamstring, like it's, it's, yeah. you know, you're um, like, you went from the Celtics being the team that suffered the injury to now the team, everyone else has had injuries and the Celtics have got their guy back. So that's like, who, who is the healthiest team right now in, in uh, all the playoffs? Probably, Utah? Uh, <laughs> probably Boston. Yeah. No, you. I mean, Utah, I mean, I get, like, their current roster, I guess, but Utah is, is sort of... Yeah, they're like, just not very good. <laughs> well, no, and also, like, like you have to sort of include Joe Ingles in that. Oh, true, true. Yeah, and so I think, like, Boston is probably the healthiest. Boston or, or to the extent of, of players that, that like... Well, put it this way. Um, Golden State has the right guys healthy and perhaps the right guys not healthy. Um. The, yeah, the I guess Memphis. We haven't talked about Memphis and Minnesota, really. Oh, um, no. I I don't even know how to process that series. It's, it's you don't it's, you don't think they should play more Stephen Adams? That that's not the solution. I, I no, I I do think they should play more Stephen <laughs> Adams. Um, but I mean, so I was actually heartened that they went back to Stephen Adams in game four. In game four, that that yeah, I, that was like okay. That wasn't like a guy getting like. A lot of coaches, when they make a move like that, would just kind of eject a guy from the rotation. He doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. But the but you know make the adjustment, then bring him back when the time is right. I th- just like one game later. I think that's that that is. Uh, I I don't dislike that. Um, but no, just that series has just like been so so drunk. So it's it's so entertaining because of the personalities involved and and between John Moran and Anthony Edwards and Pat Beverly Towns and this it's it's been a lot of fun to me and and I'm curious to see if if Memphis actually like makes it out of here because I think if you're Minnesota you kind of like the Pelicans you see this as an absolute win of of a season an absolute win of a of a predicament to be in um, being as young as they are and and just pushing the two seed to, to this. If Memphis makes it through this series, I'll be very interested to see whether um, Minnesota has just sort of brought a somewhat of a lack of composure out of them, or if they are going to lack composure, um, you know, against, against presumably the Warriors in the next round. Um, I think I like, it's hard to say, because um, I, I, I think that given, you know, Memphis is a pretty young team, that they're sort of reflecting the wolves energy, the wolves sort of manic energy a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know that that's their best. Like they, they, they sort of, in, when they're playing well, they sort of ride the line between like, you know, energetic and um, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, irresponsible is, 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 is frenetic. Frenetic, yeah, 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 and and they've definitely gone into frenetic a lot of this series, and I don't think I don't think that they have the personnel for that to be their best spot. Yeah, if they make it to the Warriors, it's got to be a big Jaron Jackson 
series because I don't think Adams is playable uh, versus the smaller Warriors lineups. And if you space the floor out for Ja, um, you sh- Ja should have a much more productive series because I don't think uh, Golden State necessarily has the point of attack defenders to, to stick with Ja. And and he should have an easier pathway to to the rim to do what he does best. But yeah, I mean, you know, Minnesota's been really making that difficult for him, and that's part of it. Part of the Memphis struggles there. And Golden State doesn't put pressure on the rim quite the same way as Minnesota does. Um, in a way that that um, if Jackson's in foul trouble as much that series, it's going to be even more like him doing him him doing dumb things. Yeah. Um, then. Like he's he's committed dumb fouls and also like Minnesota puts pressure on the rim, um, right? One of those things would be so I don't know. I, that series is, I'm I'm looking forward to Game Five of that series, but I ditched I I, I, <laughs> I I've been I've, I've I found myself just very like entertained and annoyed in equal measures by by that series. Yeah, um, like the, the culminating with like Minnesota contesting shot, like sprinting around the court to try to contest shots up four with two seconds left. I did, yeah, it's been it's been it's been nutty, and and uh, but I will say not as nutty as Donovan Mitchell passing the ball to Rudy Gobert <laughs> <laughs> to win on the game. I don't think anyone could have drawn that up. Yeah, this is this is the the, the writers or this is who who books this nonsense anyway. Um, <laughs> And uh, and on that note, um, I think that um, either way, um, you know, either either this off season or uh, come the second round, do uh, you, you want to come back and uh, and especially if it's in the second round, tell me I was dumb again. Yeah, absolutely. Pelzin six, Seth, and uh, then and then second round we can actually talk about what we're seeing from Zion. That's that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Wait, what? You, th- you think if they make the second round, he's gonna like they're gonna no? Come on, I'm I'm putting it a non-zero chance. I I think if they they make it to the second round, Ooh. I think there's a non-zero chance they, they. I mean, I don't know if he's a starter. Maybe like 15 minutes a game off the bench, but I think I I say there's a chance. Wow. I mean, Dallas or Utah isn't the worst spot matchup for that. Like, I want to see I want to see Utah more than Dallas just because I'm worried about Luca, but yeah. But no, it's like if, if they if, if like the Warriors with, with the next round opponent, it's like you can't do that to the kid. Like here, yeah, yeah, here, here, yeah. Guard, 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 guard this, guard this like mid post split with guard Draymond in this mid post split with them with with Clay and Steph running off each other, and, and then there's out. Jordan Poole. Yeah, you just you haven't played in two years, but figure it out. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no. Sorry, I, did, did I say I want to say Dallas? No, I want Utah more than Dallas. I yeah. mixed that one up. Yeah, yeah I want, I want Utah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, for your sake, uh, um, uh, for the sake of, of of my playoff picks, I hope you're wrong. For the for your sake, I hope you're right. Um, uh, Shamadua, thank you again for coming on. Uh, anything you want to plug? Any any uh, content you're generating based off this series that you think people, that people would enjoy? Just uh, keep checking in on In the Know, our podcast with me and Mason, and uh, we'll keep bringing you as much stuff as we can. All right. Thanks a lot for, for taking the time to do this. Uh, like I said, I am back Wednesday with uh, uh, with Dr. Brar to talk uh, playoff injuries and stuff and might have a, have a, uh, a relevant guest or two coming in uh, later this week as well. But uh, we'll 
you'll see on Twitter and on this app uh, if, if and when those get scheduled. So thanks, folks, for listening, and take care. Talk to you all later. Thanks.